0: Welcome to Money Memoirs, a taboo-breaking interview series sharing intimately uncensored conversations about money. I am Barry Tesler, a financial therapist, author, and creator of The Art of Money, my year-long money school and global community. Join me as I connect with brave folks from all walks of life to explore their experiences with money from their greatest struggles to triumphant celebrations, to lessons learned, and unexpected discoveries along the way. These interviews are raw, heartfelt money stories. They're vulnerable, inspiring, and always authentic. These interviews are a snapshot of the personal connection and practical support you'll find in my year-long money school, The Art of Money. The Art of Money is a holistic framework that integrates money healing, money practices, and money maps. And it blends together therapeutic, body-based practices with so many real-life tools that you need to create healthy, sustainable change in your money life. If you'd like to learn more, head to BarryTesler.com. For now, get comfy and cozy for another intimately uncensored money memoir.
1: Today, I have the honor of interviewing Rachel Baxter Cook. Am I pronouncing that correctly? I didn't even ask you that before we began. Is yes. that correct? Okay. Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. So, Rachel is someone that I've known online for many, many years. As we are checking in before I hit record, I was realizing this is the first time we've actually connected. She's heard my voice so much, I've heard her voice so much, so this is – I'm really excited (laughs) to have these conversations, and it's an honor, and I'll share a little bit about Rachel, and then we will begin our This Money Memoir interview. So uh, what I know about Rachel is that she is an award-winning business strategist, and she got her BA, I think, in business and with a focus on entrepreneurship. And then she got an MBA. And then she became a financial consultant, originally called Yogipreneur. So she was originally focusing on um, yoga businesses and that back grew into everything that she is doing today. I send so many friends to her. I, sense so, I know so many friends, so many colleagues, and so many of my students go to Rachel to get support and help as they are growing their, you know, their businesses, and she helps so many creative entrepreneurs. I also know that she's been in a long-term marriage. She has three children under the age of eight, which is just incredible to me. And lastly, her husband came on board about four years ago. He was a high school – no, excuse me, a seventh-grade English teacher, and left his teaching job to work in her business, which is now their business and their company. So that's a little bit of what I know about Rachel. Rachel, welcome.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
1: You're welcome. Thank you so much for being here. I'm very excited. So as we begin, I'd love to have you just share a snapshot of your family. I mentioned it a little bit. I'm always amazed when people have a business and they have more than one child. That's fascinating to me. I'm like, how is that even possible? But please share a snapshot of your family and work life right now.
2: Work life right now is all very intertwined, as it has been the entire time I've had a business. I have twins who are eight, they will be nine in January, and I have a Little boy who is five will be six in February. So as you can imagine, it is a very loud house. (laughs) We have a lot of noise, a lot of laughter. Um, We also have a dog and two rescue cats. And if it was up to my children, we would have a lot more rescue animals. We live in Richmond, Virginia, um, which we absolutely love. We love being uh, about two hours from the mountains and two hours from the beach, so we can kind of get anywhere that we like to go. We are adventurers. We like hiking and being on the river and being outside. We spend a lot of time outside as a family. And I've been married to my husband, Jameson, now for, I think, hold on, 12 years. <laughs> 12 years um, together for a lot longer than that. I couldn't even tell okay. you how long we've been together now because we were a college sweetheart, so we got married pretty much right out of college
1: I count all of that. I don't count from marriage. I count the entire time you were together, but that's me. So you've been together. I'm thinking it's
2: got to be 17 or 18 years Ah, now.
1: Okay, wonderful, wonderful. Hmm. And you work from home, and you work online, and you were telling me earlier that all your kids, as of September, just a few months ago, are in school all day long, (laughs) and that's Uh, huge. Yes.
2: It is huge. And honestly, a lot of the reason my business is set up the way it is as an online training and consulting business is because of kids. Because I started my business 10 years ago. Um, 2018 marked 10 years of me leaving my corporate consulting job and having my year of trying to figure out what was next, which became the Yogipreneur. And six months after I started the Yogipreneur, I got pregnant with the twins was unexpected, <laughs> It was mm-hmm. not planned. <laughs> that was not on the timeline we had, like starting a new business while your husband is a seventh grade English teacher. Um, and then to, having twins was not in in the big plan we had mapped out. But we had to very quickly figure out like, okay, how is this going to work? And for us, it looked like thankfully, the timing was perfect, because um, 2009 to 2010 that was when a lot of things were changing and the way you could run a business um, and I could take all the work I had been doing in person kind of on the ground behind the scenes with people and actually move it online so it's been amazing as far as lifestyle because it's it's a lifestyle I, I it didn't exist you know 15 years ago the ability to live this kind of lifestyle where you could work from home, and like Barry and I were talking about before, she's like, how long do you have? I was like, well, as long as I can get the kids off the bus at 2.30, we're good to go. And that is such an amazing, relaxed lifestyle, and that's what it's all about for me.
1: And 15 years ago, I've been learning from watching some of your interviews that, I mean, you were just a natural entrepreneur. You were you were you were creating <clears throat> little events that you were making ha- get you were making happen instead of a part time job in college. You you know you were doing that way back when and way back before online business even existed. Oh my gosh!
2: Yeah, I've always been the type who could figure out how to make money. Um, and in college, I, I kept starting things when I was in college. I started college as a French horn performance major. Um.
1: That's and I, I really, heard that. I was like, that's amazing that you're so talented. It's so that's, random. Yeah. It's so and random the, and that you're in bands, orchestras for many, many years. Yeah.
2: Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So if you were to look around, like, I'm sitting in my living room cozy with my tea and a heating pad because it is freezing. <laughs> but, like, I have a piano. We have guitars. We have ukuleles. We've got French horns. My husband plays trombones. We've got a few of those hanging around, okay. like – we've got all the instruments because that's where we met was in music. And I thought that was the direction I was going to go. Um, but I kept starting side things. <laughs> so I started in college when you're a performance major, when you're a junior and senior, you have to give a junior and senior recital where you literally are in a concert hall, just you and, you know, a pianist performing for an hour. And it's a pretty big deal. Um, so my friends started, you know, they all have receptions afterwards, and I was like, "Well, I can help you with that." Um, I don't know why I thought I could. I just was like, "Well, I can figure this out." So I started catering receptions for like a hundred people after their music recitals, um, and that was one of the little side hustles I started in in college. And I started, I realized that the athletic department would tutor you fifteen dollars, or would pay you fifteen dollars an hour to tutor the students on athletics scholarship and there was no cap to how many students you could see at a time. So at one point I was, um, I had already switched to business, but I was really good at economics and accounting and finance and all these other things. So I was like running these study groups, essentially getting paid $150, $200 an hour to tutor like the baseball team or the swim team, because I figured out, well, Hey, if I could put 10 guys in a room in the library I can get them through all this material Um, and that's kind of just how I've always been wired I just knew I could always figure out how to make the money I wanted to make
1: so and that's unusual right it just is you know at that I didn't realize I could only be an entrepreneur until and not work for other people until I was you know 28 to 32 years old you know that came or really 32 is when I started my first business so I was still making $10 an hour. I had no idea how to think out of the box, think beyond. So, you, was that, did that come natural to you? I know you, you know, grew up with entrepreneurs, but so did I, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, were you thinking, were you weighing your options of, oh, I can be in orchestras and be a musician and get paid, I don't know, maybe a nice salary. I don't know what that trajectory is like. (laughs) Or, no, 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 absolutely no. And it's not stable. Or, I can come up with all of these creative ideas of, you know, how to bring my skill set and make really good money. Can you just say a little bit about that? Sure. So,
2: I mean, yes, I was raised by two entrepreneurs. So my mom um, had a soil consulting business up until she was in a bad accident when I was really young. But she had her own business and actually made really, really amazing money doing what she's doing. So basically before any big developer goes in to develop like a new subdivision, they send out the environmental team, which would have been my mom, to test and make sure that it could be developed. Um, So that's what she did back in the 80s. Um, My dad has been an insurance agent for 35 or so years and has grown a really successful insurance agency. Um, and even going further back, like, I have entrepreneurs down my entire family line. Like, my dad's dad had a small grocery store in Michigan. My grandmother's dad owned a factory outside of Philadelphia. Um, So we've always had people owning businesses in the family, so it's always been a figure-it-out mentality. You can make something. You can create something. You can help people. Um, And so growing up, My dad was really, it was really interesting growing up with entrepreneurs because his mindset was always like, well, if you want something, you have to work for it. So I had jobs from the time I was little. Um, I remember being in probably in middle school, you know, like 11, 12, 13. And this is back in the late eighties, early nineties and showing up. And I had to file papers. That was my job was to file all the paperwork um, when computers came out, I don't know if anybody remembers, like, the very old computers, the DOS computers with the green screen um, where you had to, like, type in commands to do stuff. I yeah. was learning that because, you know, it was my generation in the 90s, and so I was the one that was data entry for forever. And so I always worked in his office, and that kind of taught me a lot about how things run um but if there was ever an opportunity to make some more money to do the things i wanted to do because they were very clear like okay we want you to have activities but if there's things you want to do you have to pay for it and because i was so involved in music um i didn't pick a cheap instrument i picked french horn right. a
1: french horn
2: <laughs> which is you know several thousand dollars i think when i bought my french horn i saved for probably two years in in high school doing everything. I was babysitting. I was waitressing. I was, you know, hey, do you need someone to get your groceries for you? Do you need someone to do this? Like, I would do anything because I wanted to buy this instrument. Um, And it was like a $5,000 instrument. And I was paying for my own private music lessons. And that's, you know, $100 an hour. I had two different teachers. So it was pretty exciting expensive for me to be doing what I wanted to do and my parents were supportive but they also were like, okay, we'll meet you halfway here, but you're gonna cover these expenses. Um so I did whatever I could to figure out, well, how do I make money? How do I do this so that I can do what I want to do?
1: So there's an incredible lesson in teaching there um, that your parents gave you. <clears throat> that doesn't always happen. Yes, you had I don't know if you have expensive taste, but you picked an expensive instrument, right? And I love that your parents said, yes, we'll support you and we'll meet you halfway. And then yeah. you had to get creative, right? Because I had jobs, too, really early on, but I got to spend that money in any way, like food, <laughs> clothing. It wasn't. We'll meet you halfway. You know, or you have a goal, Barry, or you want to do something. And I, this is an incredible lesson and in teaching that your parents passed down to you, right? So that... You had to step up and get creative and figure this out. And $10 an hour, right, wasn't going to cut it for, you know, that level of instrument and the training. It
2: really wasn't, and I didn't have much time. Um, So I figured figured out ways to, to be creative, and I think the one thing that they did give me is I'm just a super hard worker. So I could go in anywhere, and I can figure stuff out, and I can work really hard. So their friends are all entrepreneurs as well. And they would call on me like, hey, I need this, this, and this. Can Rachel come help us? And it's like they would just ship me over to their friend's office or send me somewhere else. Like, yeah, she can come pitch in here. Um, we had lots of friends who owned restaurants. And if they were doing like a big festival or a big event, they'd, can Rachel come help over here? Yeah, I can come help you. Um, and that's, I mean, I spent every weekend in high school working so that I could afford to go to orchestra three times a week and have my music lessons.
1: So this is um, one of your strengths, right? A huge strength a huge strength for you <laughs> around money, about working hard, about being able to think out of the box, about getting really creative and being able to move through many money ceilings at a time, like being able to say, I need to make this much money and, le- and being yeah. able to do that from early on. <clears throat> Also, to go back, you have the MBA, you are, a finan- you are a financial consultant, you're a business, well, you know, I'm sure that's part of what you do as a business coach. So someone could look at you, Rachel, and say, you don't have any money issues, right? Because you're so good at earning money, um, you're so good at helping other people grow their businesses, come up with ideas, come help them with price points and their services and offerings, right? So many of us could look mm-hmm. at you and say, Rachel, you probably don't have any money issues. <clears throat> now, what would you say to someone <laughs> when when that's said?
2: Oh, that's so funny. Um, I would say, <laughs> yes, I definitely do. I think everybody does on yes. on different levels. Yeah. And it's been interesting because, I, I recognize that it is unusual for me to have been raised by entrepreneurs and have the lessons I learned pretty early on. So a, a lot of the hang-ups I see my clients have, I never had, um, or at least they, they didn't show up in that the way that they show up often for my clients. So, like, um, pricing has never been an issue for me. I'm like, this is what it's worth. This is what you're going to pay me. Take it or leave it. And I don't make it personal. Um, yeah. Those types of things have never been as as big of an issue for me Um, What has been hard for me is really enjoying it. And what I mean by that is it's really easy for me to reinvest back into my business. It's really easy for me in my mind to be like, oh, you're going to hire a coach for $30,000 next year? Like, no problem. Let's do that. But if I come home and say, um, you know, you need $10,000 to renovate the kid's bathroom, I will hem and haw over that. For like, it's been 2 years i've been hemming and hawing over that but i'll go and spend like 3 times as much on something business related so for me um it has been learning to enjoy it um and not i wouldn't i wouldn't necessarily say paying myself but um cuz i do we live comfortably it's just things like i'm amazed at how $500 towards something for the house will put me in a state of, like, I need to think about it. I need to think about it. I need to research this. I need to, you know, sit on it for a long, long time. But if I need something that costs the same amount for the business, it's, like, not even a question.
1: hmm hmm So,
2: so the,
1: go ahead and keep going. Keep
2: going. I, no, I was just going to say, I think that's one of the biggest things for me um, that has been interesting. And it's funny because thinking of my parents – um. And thinking of other entrepreneurs that I grew up with, because like I said, my my family has a lot of entrepreneurs. My parents' friends were all entrepreneurs. And a lot of these patterns played out where it's like grow, grow, grow the business and not always like taking some of that out to, to live as well Has is a pattern that I, I see a lot with entrepreneurs. Like we – it's almost like we – We feel like we need to keep investing in the business, invest in the business, invest in the business, and forget to just enjoy what you've been able to build.
1: Now, did you ever learn about personal finances through your MBA, through your BA? When you were learning about entrepreneurship, was there ever any training about here's how you do business finance and over here this is how you deal with personal finances and how you have money conversations with yourself and your spouse. And was there any training around that? Yeah,
2: this is such an interesting question because there's such a big disconnect between what is taught on finance and money and what it actually looks like when you're running yeah. a business. Yeah. Um, so there's a couple layers of this, like as a kid, because my mom's disabled, um, from a early age, I was in charge of balancing mom's checkbook. Like, dad paid most of the big things, but I was in charge of balancing her checkbook, which was, like, groceries and clothes for us and paying the housekeeper and anything like that. So I learned how to manage a checkbook really early. My dad always told us, you know, if you take care of your money, it'll take care of you. And I learned how to save for things and how to prioritize things that I wanted, um, which is why I wore, like, clothes from Target but had a $5,000 instrument when I was in college because I knew how to prioritize those types of things. Um, In college, though, getting my undergrad and my graduate degree in business, like, I took a lot of finance that was not necessarily relevant to the business I run today. And what I mean by that is, like, a lot of finance and accounting courses are taught either for corporate level Type of stuff right. or, you know, mm-hmm. even in a, in a program, a degree in entrepreneurship and small business, like we were using case studies of small businesses that had 50 employees and like
1: right.
2: a much, right. much bigger than what I was dealing with. Um, And they never talk about the emotional side of anything um, or the mindset shifts you might have to go through for things. It's very much a like, let's just throw it all in a spreadsheet and here's how this works um and it's not 100% relevant to the way you know you might run you actually run a business so like some of these things that i was learning getting an mba program you know oh you could just go out and get a small business loan and then you have everything you need to finance your business well no not actually that's not actually how it often works most people don't get a small business loan out the gate they don't qualify for it right. or you know, don't have an asset big enough to put up against it. I certainly didn't. Um, And so it's like, okay, well, how do you actually self-fund this? What if you're not sitting on a huge pile of cash or you don't have investors? So a lot of the stuff I learned in school were around getting investors, getting a small business loan, things like that, which was not anywhere near what really happened. What really happened was, like, bootstrapping. Which yeah. I could have really moved <clears throat> the class in, um because that's that can be scary, like bootstrapping your business and kind of crossing your fingers and going okay, I know i can I know I can make something happen. I really hope this works the way I think it's going to,
1: and what are the phases of that, and what does that even look like, mm-hmm. and you know if you're if you don't get a business loan right away, which most people don't for us, you know that might nope. take I think it took me four years. Before I got that, yeah, I think it was about four or five years. Um, Yeah, do you have credit? Um, Can you use 0% credit cards? How do you, you know, get income coming in quickly? Um, And so on, right? So what are are the phases of bootstrapping? So will you share a little bit more? We'll come back to you personally because I have a lot of questions about that. But share just a little bit more about what are the money issues that come up that you see over and over and over around entrepreneurs that you said you didn't have, but you help a lot of people work through. And then we'll come back to more of your personal stuff.
2: So I think one of the biggest things that comes up is just mismanaged expectations. Um, And there's just a lot of mismanaged expectations that either, okay, You can start your business, throw a website out there, and, like, money is just going to start coming in. The clients are magically going to appear. Um, Or I hear from a lot of people, they start spending time researching, and they're like, okay, I'm going to create this small passive income product. And they come to me saying, okay, I'm going to create this thing It's going to be $50, and I want to make a six-figure business out of this in a year. And I'm like, really? That's Okay. Hmm. How is that going to happen? How are you getting enough clients for that? Do you know how many clients you need in order to make a $50 product, a six figure income stream? Do you know how many leads you need in order to get those clients? How are you going to get that many people through the door? How much is it going to cost you to get that many people through the door? And so that's one of the biggest things that makes me crazy right now is there's a lot of talk about what can happen maybe in year four or five or 10, um, and I see people coming into business trying to start with strategies um, that they're really not ready for.
1: Okay.
2: And it, it actually sets them up for a lot of failure. And nothing breaks my heart more than hearing somebody. And I've literally had people say, well, I got a second mortgage and put everything into launching this small passive income product, but I didn't get enough sales. I didn't even break even on what I've invested in creating it. And that makes my heart stop because I'm like, okay, whoa, you just put your house on second mortgage for this and you didn't validate it or go through the process to make sure you had the right things in order. Um, So that's probably the biggest thing that makes me frustrated is it's mismanaged expectations. And honestly, I am like the last person sometimes that people hit (laughs) once they have gone on this journey of trying to figure out if they can start a business, um, because I tend to tell it a little more straight than they've been hearing up front. Nothing I'm talking about is super sexy. I'm not talking about, you know, sipping margaritas on the beach while the money just comes rolling in, (laughs) living that laptop lifestyle. Yeah, that's not going to happen. And even I'm year 10, and you know what? That's happened maybe like, literally, there is one time I remember sitting on the beach drinking, you know, something out there with the family <laughs> on vacation, and bing, there's a little notification on my phone, and I was like, oh, look at that. We made a sale. But it was only once that that was the exact scenario, because most of the time, right. I'm not actually sitting on the beach <laughs> right. doing that.
0: Right,
2: exactly. Uh, okay. So I feel like it's so, a little bit of reality check there for a lot of people.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you know... I, I've written about the four or five different business model phases I've been in, and I've tried to talk about bootstrapping, but I'm not a business coach. It's not my specialty, so I love that, you know, if you could get to people before they took out the second mortgage, right, before they took out the business loan right away, unless they've had many businesses before, you know, before they've done things on a 0% credit card. There are stages and phases, Um, you might not want to do 0% credit card until maybe three years in, you know, um, until you've learned how to actively bring in income. Or, for example, I did bookkeeping um, as a transition before I moved into my groups full-time because that was bringing in immediate income or people have a part-time job, right? They're bringing in income um, before they do that. So, okay, that's a biggie for a lot, a lot of folks.
2: I'm a huge help. fan of bringing in the income first. like I always tell my clients, prioritize predictable profits immediately, and it can actually be really easy if you keep it simple. like find five, five, ten people who you can help it's It really doesn't take a whole lot of people if you have something valuable that can help them and that's how I started my business was that one on one consulting. It's the fastest, easiest way. The best part is it doesn't take really anything more than your time to go out there and have conversations with people. You don't need a fancy website. I know people who don't have fancy websites at all. They basically get people into their business through social media or LinkedIn or referrals. You don't need to take out a huge line of credit. You don't need to join a you know, five-figure mastermind. You don't need any of that in order to find five or ten people who you can help and when you have those five or ten people who you're able to serve really well not only do you have that revenue coming in but you are learning what they need and validating before you invest time and energy into creating something else because it takes so much time and energy to create things like this whole passive income dream people think that they could just sit down in an afternoon and create a program or a course or a book or whatever i know you are the same very like it takes so much time to create them and then really refine them and make them better so that they get the results that you're hoping they'll get for people
1: yeah it also takes a lot of time to mature you know our work our methodology um, how to work best with people and so on and so It does require us to really slow down and say, is it one-on-one, which I did a bit of, but I always liked really tiny groups of ten people, you know, and then did them over and over, and that's what I did at the beginning. But it's the same thing. It's slowing down, and it's not big and sexy and fancy um, or bright or, you know, shiny, but it's doing it day in and day out and getting better and better at how you do your work, you know, and how, Mm -hmm. excuse me, I'm getting over a little... Virus. So, so you know, this is what you do. Oh, excuse me. I'm going to take a drink. <clears throat> this is what you do day in and day out, right? This is the business side. You know how to slow people down, um, get them picking what that first service and offering is. How to help those three to five to ten people. You know, doing that over and over and over. So, and growing businesses, and you love putting money back in. That's natural. That's easy, easy. You have all those yeah. systems in place. Let's go back to the personal because I the, the, the energy was even so different as you describe them, <laughs> and then you you know it's so different. So let's go back to you know the five hundred dollars spent on personal or the bathroom renovation, and tell me about like personal, financial house. Even describe that a little yeah. bit more, and yeah, and how how is that. How is that for you? Oh,
2: it has been a journey, that is for sure. That's one of the reasons I took your program. Um, so personal financial financials have been not my favorite thing, in all honesty. Like, um, I'll say I'm the type of person, I'm very much an entrepreneur. I'm big picture. I know the details are important, but I'm not necessarily somebody who manages details very well. Um, which means for my personal financial stuff to work, I had to automate pretty much everything because I will forget stuff. Like if anybody's ever sent me an invoice and for some reason it didn't get paid very quickly, it's probably because I forgot about it. Um, But if it's automated, you'll be good. (laughs) Mm Because I have to handle things in the easiest way for me. And the easiest way for me on our personal finances has been to simplify and automate as much as we can. Um, and thankfully that's something that I've always done from the time I was probably in college. I just put everything on auto pay. So I never had to worry about like bills being late or whatever, unless something messed up. Um,
1: and what bookkeeping system are you on and who does
2: it? Yeah. Um, so I just this year had some interesting things happening in our bookkeeping because A um, person I had been working with for a while to manage our business finances with me kind of changed course. So I had to spend like a couple of months getting clear on what I needed in that role for my business. Um, So we just actually moved all the business bookkeeping over to a new company called Mm Bench.co, which I really love. Mm -hmm. And this is just something I found with service providers like that um, where I need to be aware of what's going on, but I don't need to be, like, in the nitty-gritty of it. If they have to depend on me mailing them a statement or even emailing them a statement or whatever, if I have to get into the details, it's going to be, like, a hard slog. So I knew that on the bookkeeping side, I needed a service where they could have access to everything And I only had to show up for, like, a call once a month to verify that everything was good and to help them, you know, make sure it was all on the right track. Um, Mm -hmm. So I've been loving Bench.co. I don't know if you've ever recommended it to people, but I think they've done an amazing job. Their onboarding makes the entrepreneur side of me just really excited. I'm like, yes, great customer experience. Um, So that's been great. personal. Um, Yeah, so that's for business, right? So that's on the business side. On the personal side, I continue to use um, You Need a Budget, Mm
1: -hmm. and
2: this is something that I've been using for a long time now. My former financial person helped me get started on that, and um, I really like the new one that they have now because you can import things. Again, if I have to manually do stuff, like I'm going to get frustrated very quickly, but you can kind of... Think everything really easily. But what I really like about that one is um, you can plan where dollars are going in advance. Um, I also use the Profit First system, and I've kind of applied that to my personal as well. So if nobody has heard of the Profit First um, book by Mike McCallowitz, it's a great book um, on business, like, cash flow, like how to manage your cash flow in your business. Um but one of the things I really love that he talks about is he has these percentages where every time income is coming in, you have, you know, however much percentage allocated to owner pay and however much percentage allocated to your expenses and your taxes and of course your profit account. Um, so we've kind of also duplicated that on our personal side. Every time we pay ourselves a paycheck, I go through my percentages and Okay, this much goes towards savings, this much goes towards our vacation fund. So it's kind of like an I guess a, a different way of saying the envelope system. Um right. but I do that I do all of that in YNAB. So we only have one like account really that everything's going through. But in YNAB I can say, okay, of all the money sitting in our checking account, this much is for life stuff right now, and this much is for savings, and this much is for Vacation, and as much as for Christmas or whatever else we're we're doing. Um, And we've been pretty good with that for the past few years just because, again, it's automated or mostly automated at this point. Um, And Jameson and I can both use it as we go through the day and the week and update it uh, pretty much. I think we probably both log in there a couple times a week, which is really helpful.
1: Yeah, so YNAB for personal, which some of my community loves. There's no perfect system, right? There just isn't. No. Nope. Um, what is one what is um intuitive for one person is not for someone else, right? A lot of folks love YNAB. So that's what's working, right? And it's yeah. I love that it. it has to be systematized for you, but let's go back to the emotions. The emotions of and psychology of making those money decisions around renovating yeah the bathroom? What comes up for you? Do you just need time to be able to make a solid, good decision? Um, Tell me more about that that experience for you.
2: You know, what's interesting is I don't know. Um, Probably it's easier on the business side because I know that most of the decisions I'm making, there's a pretty quick return on investment, right? Okay. Um, It's like a formula, I can figure out what I will make if I invest this into this, I will get this much back and sometimes on the personal side, it's not as easily like quantifiable um, so if I go just spend five hundred dollars on this thing, this chair, for example, because I really like this chair, I mean all it really does is just make me happy to look at it, but it doesn't actually change a whole lot I don't know i i it's kind of an interesting thing. And as I think about it, I mean, I grew up with parents, we were very much like, um, for them, it was, we were house rich, but cash poor. They had an amazing big house that they bought when I was a kid. It was a waterfront property. It had been featured in like architectural digest built by this cool architect. Um, But it was full of like hand-me-down furniture (laughs) because Mm -hmm. they bought, everything went into the house. There was nothing left over, and I'm trying to avoid that as much as I can, because um, I I remember how frustrating that was as a kid to be like God, we yeah we live in this really cool house, but can we get some new, you know, cups that aren't chipped up or something? Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know, I don't know what it is about about that. It's um something I'm always working on, and I love going through exercises where it's like well where where would you like to make small upgrades in your house because for me I can I can reach a little bit but reaching a lot is just it feels too much it feels like too big of a like well what if i need that money for the business or what if something ha- like what if we have a slow what if we have another crazy election oh my gosh two years right. ago that election slowed down a lot of businesses um mm-hmm. just because there was so much uncertainty you know, right. and I, I feel like that might be a part of it. Like it's always a, okay. well, what if I need that? What if, because there's not a huge return on it compared to business. I don't know. I feel like I'm rambling a little bit. On yeah. So
1: there's, a, there's a few levels of it. I hear, I hear um, you like a quantifiable return. You know, you, you like to be able to see a return on investment um, really quickly and you know, how to do that in your business, right? Um, yeah. And with personal stuff, it's what is the what is the return on investment? Is it that I get to enjoy looking at the chair? Is it that I get to enjoy sitting in it? And it's more comfortable. Is it that it makes my home more beautiful? Is it that it's shifting the dynamic of the pattern of what I grew up in? That it was all used secondhand stuff. There's nothing wrong with secondhand stuff, right? We all learn positive. Yeah. And negative things, I don't know if that's the right word, for, With from our parents, right, from our family of origin. And sometimes we want to be like them. Sometimes we're rebelling and reacting. Sometimes we want to just do things differently, right? So what is, what is the value? How do you receive the value of that $500? You know, how do you spend money in that way and do some kind of evaluation afterwards? Like, was this a good investment and maybe h- how you quantify it is just really different than in the business you have a different yeah. set yeah you have a different set of of how it's valued right and how do you love it do you get are you enjoying it um it's just it's just different than the business for you i'm hearing there's just it's a totally little bit of a missing piece for you on how do you evaluate it how do you Know you're making a good decision. Um, what's the set of questions that you need to have or want to have in those moments and then afterwards? How do you do a review? And since it's not like that share is going to be making you money, you know, but maybe it is. I know because how, for how,
0: do, we to, how, how do, we do we put it to work? How do we put it to work?
1: But does but does every does every a photo shoot? totally totally? <laughs> but does every money decision have to be making you money too? right? That's... Yeah,
2: no. It's so interesting, too, because um, I'm probably the the person in me and my husband Jameson's dynamic, I'm the one that looks at all of this the most. Um, and we're really good at spending money on little things. And then we get all hesitant and nervous about big things. And one of the things I love about like digging into the numbers of stuff is I'll realize something like oh my gosh, can you believe we spent like, I mean, seriously, we have five five people in this house so we spend a ridiculous amount of money on food. Um, mm-hmm. Plus I'm very like, that's one place where I'll, I'll spend more for high quality things, but we've had months where it's gotten crazy and we've been like, oh my god, we spent $2,000 on groceries and eating out this month. What in the world did we do? Like, that's twice what we normally spend. Okay. We could have put that $1,000 towards the thing we've been talking about and haven't done. Um, and that's probably the biggest area that we're constantly, I think awareness has been the first part of it. It's just like, where is it going? Because it, it does, it goes like $25 at a time. You don't think about it. Um, and then suddenly you realize, oh my gosh, I spent $1,000 more than I needed to. And we could have put it somewhere where we actually want to spend money. Um so, yeah, that's been an interesting journey, especially over the last few years as our income has grown and we've not had to worry so
1: much about money.
2: Um, I don't
1: know. You don't have to keep as close of a check, like every single day, sometimes twice a day, monitoring how much is coming in and moving things around, right? <clears throat> yeah. so, so tell me, yeah, more. I have, to, I have a lot of questions still, and I know we don't have – tons of time left. No, you're fine. um, Okay, so talk to me a little bit about how you do couples and money, because even you saying to me, we both both, both spend on small things, but the larger things um, you know, it don't come as easy for us, and you know, that's the opposite of me and my husband. I'm lots of little things, you know, lots of acupuncture, lots of facial lotions, and he'll be like, I want to get a new road bike, and I'm like, ah, you know, what you know and and he you know and then anyway so we're different in that it sounds like
0: you yeah. both
1: are on the same page on the same team that you both spend a lot of little things the large things how do you come together for money ma- dates how does that work i know you both work yeah. in business together and have for almost four years which one of the key things i learned from listening to one of your interviews which my husband and i didn't do is that your husband doesn't report to you which I thought was brilliant. No. <laughs> he reports to your online business manager, which, you know, my husband, when he came onto my business of many years that I had started many years ago, he was reporting to me. That's not so sexy. That that doesn't, you know, that we had to work through that, you know, and we're not working together anymore. Um, maybe because of that reason, because I had final say. I was still, as you said, boss lady, you know. So yeah. anyway, I love that you guys do that. Talk to me a little bit about, how you have money conversations, what works, what's challenging, what are you guys working on? So
2: I think we both – I probably pay a little more attention on, like, a weekly basis, what's coming in, what's coming out. At the beginning of the month, we sit down and plan out everything. And this is maybe weird. It's something I've been doing ever since I was in college. I have a desktop calendar, and I write in all the bills, in one color, and what's due when, and then I write in all the income coming in in another color. Um, and for some reason, that just helps me see it all at once, like just see it. And I feel like, okay, I know what's happening. I know what's going on. And for some reason, I couldn't figure out how to do that in an electronic, digital way that felt right. So I just stick to my old school desk calendar. Um, and so we kind of just have a system that if something comes up, it gets put on that calendar, like kid stuff comes up oh, kids need this, um, you need to write this check for so-and-so, oh, this came in, this tax bill came in that we have to pay. Like, we just kind of keep it on this calendar so we can both see what's happening. Um, and really, we just kind of look at that throughout the throughout the week. Um, but once a month, I sit down and plug it all in, and then we talk about it. Is there anything else we're trying to do? Um, and it's really that simple for us. Like, we don't have a whole lot more that we do um if we are like looking at YNAB and of course you can assign a budget to stuff and we see like whoa we're going way over here then we'll have a conversation about that but because we're both in there we're pretty consistent with updating it and and letting each other know like hey we don't have much wiggle room in this category anymore do we need to move something or do we need to re you know recalibrate our budget here um Yeah, it's, it's been pretty laid back. And I would have to say though, um, again, I'm not a super detailed person. Like I'm good at the, I love the planning. I'm a planning junkie. Like give me a calendar and some colored markers and some post-its and washi tape. And I will like make the most beautiful calendar for the month you'd ever seen. But following through with stuff like that same day, I have to sit down and schedule everything or else I might forget. Um, and if there's calls to be made, I get so frustrated. Um, and anybody who's had to make calls, like, this past summer we had an issue with um, our state taxes. And so we're sitting here, like, on the phone, probably in one week, spent 10 hours on the phone. And at that point, I would have been, like, just in tears, Um So he has to handle that kind of stuff. I'm like, you have to have these conversations because I will just get so frustrated with how long it is taking and and why am I doing this and all of that. Um, So if there's anything that needs to be handled, he gets that assignment and he takes it and and figures it out. Um, But I'll do all the planning and figuring out what needs to happen.
1: So you each have your different roles and you've been able to really clarify what they are, you know, what you do best, what you don't do best, what you hate to do, what you're okay doing. Any fights about money over the years? Like has there ever been a place, it sounds like you have your systems, you have your schedules when you talk about it. There's not one of you running to the other person while they're in the shower or late at night saying, oh, my God, I can't believe you spent money this way or any fighting?
2: Oh, yes. Yes, yes, of course. I think everybody fights about money. I think the biggest things that we have thought about is when something slips under the radar that we didn't know about, and suddenly I've got, like, you know, $5,000 or something I've got to come up with. Um, and its I remember a couple summers ago, when he left teaching, this came up a lot more um, because things that we kind of took for granted, suddenly I, we all, we had to be responsible for, like health insurance. So there was one, our first year, paying for our own individual health insurance not being on his plan as a teacher, we had just gotten health insurance and then like three months into the program, somehow their automated system dropped us. And we didn't, I didn't realize it for some reason. And like two months later we get this note saying that we owe all this money to the kid's doctor. And I'm like, what in the world is going on? Well, it turns out that their auto pay billing system, something happened and we just didn't catch it. Um so stuff like that happens, and I get so frustrated because I'm like, "Why didn't you see this? <laughs> Why didn't we realize it?" Um, and that kind of stuff makes me a little a little crazy. So yeah, we've definitely had fights about stuff like that happening. We've had um, arguments about should we like. Sometimes I just get my mind on something that I want to do, and. Maybe it's the entrepreneur in me, maybe it's just the type A personality, I don't know. But once I get my mind on something, like, I'm like a dog with a bone, I'm not going to let it go. And (laughs) My husband calls that the freight
1: train, the freight train part of me, you know, he's like, you become like a freight train, but could be a dog with a bone, you know.
2: I mean, seriously. And so he'll just sit there and be like, are you sure we need to do this right now, and It was a few, probably four years ago. Um, I wanted a new van. I'd been driving around a a used minivan we bought when the twins were born. It was starting to have issues. I was so frustrated. I was like, I hate this van. And I just got more and more upset about it. And finally, I had a great month. I was like, okay, we're going to buy this new Toyota minivan. It looks great. We're going to buy it brand new off the lot. And he's like, why? Why Why do we have to do this right now? Why are you so like? And I was like, no, today is the day. We're going to do this. And, yeah, so I've had to learn over the years that he doesn't actually mind when I get those ideas. He just needs me to, like, break them down for him. So he's told me, um, he's like, I know when you get like that and you've just decided you've made up your mind, but you need to explain it to me or else I just feel like I didn't have a choice.
1: (laughs) Right. He didn't have a say. He didn't get to have a say. Yeah. In this money decision where you're spending a lot of money, it's a larger purchase. Yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah, I can't be a bit so, like a freight train. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. But, you know, we have to use that. I'm not like that all the time. You know, I pull it out in key moments when I'm really clear. <laughs> I really want something and I'm clear that it's right, you know. So yep. it sounds like, you know, when life happens, like when you we bump up against systems or bureaucracy, and that's going to happen. We, we can plan and get better at planning and plan everything, you know, so well, but life's still going to happen taxes, IRS stuff, you know, I was audited last year, it took five months. That was a challenge. Ugh. You know, these things happen, right? Or uh, you know, an automated system kicks you out of the health insurance and you don't catch it for a month or two, right? Um, these things all happen. And I'm thinking about this probably was happening around the health insurance right as he had left his job and right around when you discovered you were pregnant with twins. Yeah?
2: Well, this would have been the third kid, yeah.
1: Oh, it was the third kid. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Can you can you share anything more about that about that time when he left his job as yeah. a teacher and around the money part? Like this was not planned. So, what did you need to do, you know, to sure make the well, finances leaving, work?
2: Him leaving teaching was um, something we planned, and we talked about it for several years. Okay. Um, he worked teaching all the way up until Mitchell was born. He's my youngest. And we had decided, okay, he's going to leave teaching um, because he just, he loved the kids, but the bureaucracy of, of public education is just a lot to handle. Um, so we had made that decision and we thought about, okay, what do we need to do in order to feel comfortable with that? Because even though, I mean, honestly, even though the business was way making more money than he was bringing home, it was like a last lifeline of traditional security, having that that health insurance and that super steady paycheck, all of that. Um, It was a big deal. So we probably took the better part of a year to think about what we wanted to do and what we needed in order to feel comfortable with that. The thing that was super hard about it, was at the time we were renting a little house while we were saving to buy our first house and right before our lease was due to renew they told us that they were not renewing our lease and we had lived there for like four years at that point um so we had two months to figure out what we were doing so at that point we were like okay i guess this plan is getting accelerated so we just started looking at houses, looking at houses. We looked at like 25 houses. Then we had to jump through a gazillion hoops in order to qualify for our mortgage. Um, if you've not because had to go of through that process. Yeah, one because of you one of us is an entrepreneur. And it meant not only our personal taxes, but they wanted all of our business taxes. And they got a certified letter from my accountant. And they got, um, like, we had to print off all of our accounts receivables, like, promise of income coming in the rest of the year and all of this. Oh my gosh. For somebody who does not like digging into the details, like it makes me, it triggers this whole other side of me, which is just angry all the time. So I was just like, I'm going to yell at people if I have to talk to one more person, but we finally got it. And then we moved into this house. Um, and the minute we moved into the house, like a month later, he quit his job.
1: Okay. So okay. for
2: us, a lot of it was like, what do we need to feel yes, the financial security, but also I knew that if we didn't take the leap on buying the house while he was still employed, it would have been so much harder because essentially everything would have had to depend on just me. Um, and they're just – they don't look at businesses like mine the same way as they do, you know, a teacher making a fraction as much because to them it's not steady. It's not secure. Um so that was probably the biggest thing in that time frame was buying the house. Um, and then when he, and getting it health insurance and all of that stuff on our own, we went through a couple ups and downs with that. Um, but then the next big thing was just, I think letting go of that security. It It's so funny because on paper it really wasn't that much. And he more than made up for it in the work that he did with me. Um, like we replaced his income super fast, just adding on to revenue. But it was still scary. It was just mm-hmm. it's a it's a big leap.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So even though you know, he made that up really quickly, more income came in. Yeah. It was yeah. a small amount compared to what your company was doing. Just the consistent, reliable, steady income and health insurance. It was scary. It was a leap to be able to do that, right? And so everyone out there, like, Absolutely. this stuff is scary. This is not easy. Even if you have a business, it's the second income, whatever it is, if it's reliable and steady, letting that go, taking that risk, it's a big deal, right? Um, yep.
2: And you did it. And there and we, was also – Go
1: ahead.
2: I was going to say, there there were some other things that came up, too, and I don't know if you've talked about this with other people, but it was interesting because when we – When when I started this business, I mean, he was the one making money for, like, the first year while I was literally just pouring everything back into the business and having babies and everything else. Um, But I very quickly became the person who out-earned him and then became the sole breadwinner. And I'm lucky I have a very feminist husband who is super supportive and wants nothing but the best, and this is, you know, what we both want. But it was still an interesting journey for him to let go of that identity of having a job um, because suddenly the the dynamics shifted somehow. Um, so that was another, that was probably one of the biggest things that first year that we had to deal with was him coming to work in my business. He's not an yeah. entrepreneur. He has no desire to run his own business. Super talented, has a lot to offer. He just wants to help and be supportive and, do whatever he can to make this work, um, but it's my business. So Absolutely. for us, that was probably another big, and honestly, it's still something we talk about. Like we still, um, we still talk about like what is the value of what he's doing in the business because he wants to feel like he's contributing. And we ended mm-hmm. up deciding, you know what, we're both going to take a paycheck. We're going to sign right. whatever to it. Um, so that there was no confusion there. It's not like you're just working for me. Like, no, you get a paycheck from the business um, because your work is valuable. And I think that was something we didn't really anticipate was, like, what that would look like, him coming into my business, not us starting a business together or anything like that.
1: So this is this is big. Um, the dynamic – Shifted a bit, right? And it sounds like you've had to have ongoing conversations and still are about Uh. how that feels for him, how he thinks about it, feels about it. It's still your company. You're still, you're the one who started it. So you still have final say, right? You still, and you were making more money than him for a long time. Can you just share a little bit more about how you've had to work through that? how that shifted your dynamic. And I'm always curious, because this is one of my things, do you ever feel like you have more say? You know, it gets flipped instead of the man, if this is a male-female yeah. relationship, where the man's making more of the money, they're bringing home the bacon. So they, and if the women, it's more traditional, they're having the babies, sometimes we feel like, you know, they have more say about how money is spent and where it's spent. Yeah. So when that dynamic shifted for us and I was making more money, I noticed all of a sudden I was starting to feel like I think I have a little more say and that's not true at all. We have equal say, but it was something that we had to work through. What about you guys?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think on the personal side, we have equal say and we make all of our personal decisions together as far as, you know, the house and the car and the lifestyle and all of that. Like we make all of those decisions together and we have, a lot of conversations about the personal side. Um, On the business side, he operates more as an employee for the business than as like a owner or a executive for the business. And that's the role that we have found is the most comfortable. He's, He's not a natural entrepreneur and has no desire to be so. So, the big business decisions, the day-to-day business decisions I'm making. Now, if it's a big one, like I'm going to go invest in something that's tens of thousands of dollars, like I have a lot of conversations with him because I trust him and he has my best interests and, you know, will 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 ask me questions that will make me make a good decision around that. Um, but as far as the final call on things for the business, that's pretty much me um, okay. mm-hmm. because I'm the CEO of the business. <laughs> Right, and that works. That works for us. Um, but I, yeah, I don't. I ask him questions. I talk to him about stuff. He's he's my best advisor in person. Yeah. I bounce ideas off of. But he's not interested in running the business or being responsible for those level okay. of decisions. <clears throat>
1: That's great that you've come to that. I think my husband could never have been an employee of me, you know, of my company. That would have never worked for our dynamic. Um, so then, in the personal, you both have your moments, like you're, yeah. you know, when you have that moment where you're like, "We're buying this car," and he has his own moments <laughs> where he's clear about <clears throat> something that he wants to purchase that's more money. He 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 does as yeah. well. Okay.
2: Oh yeah. And again, but he, we are small, like we get small little things that we think about. So if it's a big thing, we talk to each other big time. But if it's small stuff, we really don't generally worry about it too much unless it's become like, babe, do you really need another set of magic cards right now? Like that's his favorite thing is magic the gathering. He's obsessed Mm -hmm. and plays competitively. So he was like, finally we had to be like, okay, what's my budget for like playing this game because he has to enter competitions and do stuff. I was like, I don't know, what do you need? And he's like, I feel like I need a boundary or else I'm ridiculous. I'm like, okay. Great. So we had to come up we had to come up with a limit so he felt like I'm not being dumb, I'm not spending Great. more than I should, and he gets that. So we we do give each other some boundaries okay. on things where we know it's yeah. could get a little out of out of control. <laughs>
1: I'm hearing a lot, a lot of conversations, a lot of negotiations, a lot of looking at the real numbers, a lot at budgeting Uh and planning where you want them to go, and on and on. And this is years of work, you know, of doing this. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And also, I'm not even going to – I'm not going to lie, Barry, a lot of therapy. We have gone through couples counseling um, a few different times, especially when he transitioned from leaving teaching to working with me because it was – It was not easy, Um, and I just want to be really honest about that because I think a lot of people have, like, this vision of how great it's going to be, and I'm like, sometimes it's okay to miss them a little bit, like, when you're not in the same house 24-7. And having, having a therapist there to talk to helped us see that, okay, this is where Rachel gets stuck and frustrated and feels resentful, when she's the one in charge of all of these things and you're not contributing in this way or this is where Jameson feels unvalued because he's not clear that what he's doing now actually matters or whatever else. So having a therapist was probably one of the most important things we did during that transition because it was somebody who could just hold that space and help us have those hard conversations. So now it's not a big deal. Like We go on a walk every single morning together and talk about all sorts of stuff including hey this is what we want to do this is what i want to spend money on do you think it's ridiculous that i want to join this thing it's going to cost me two hundred dollars a month for magic the gathering you know we can talk about it and it it's let go a lot of the i feel like the guilt and shame that can come up
1: great we did a lot of therapy too, focused just on that we're business partners you know i I think that's a very clear business write-off is having therapy consulting. I don't know if you wrote wrote it off, but I think it should be. Um, So a few more questions for you. I would love you to share, and then we'll wrap up. Was there one really big money challenge that you had to go through? I'd love to hear a little bit of what that story was and how you overcame that big issue. It could have been from when you were younger. It could have been when you were, I was going to say single in your 20s, but you weren't single, you were (laughs) Um, I was your, married. <laughs> you were married right away. Um, I was married so at
2: 24, so yeah. Oh, My God, that's um, amazing. <laughs> I know we were babies. Oh, We were such babies. Mm. Um, you know, I'm actually going to give you a recent example. Like, we went through this tax thing with the state of Virginia, and I had just gone through this period of trying to find a new bookkeeping system, and I had just started working with the CPA. I've been through several CPAs, which have been a pain in the butt trying to figure out somebody who gets me. Um, but earlier this summer, we had an issue where the state of Virginia we owed—I mean, we owed some money to the state of Virginia—and they actually literally just took money out of our bank account, like it was a lien on our bank account, and they froze the account. And I was like, "Holy crap!" I thought the accountant was talking to you. And it turned out the other accountant had not been talking mm. to them. Um, they had no record of the accountant talking to them. And I was so frustrated and in a panic. Did you have some
1: feelings try, about that? Did you have some strong feelings? Oh, my feelings? gosh.
2: Yeah. A lot of what strong feelings, like uh, a lot of anger. I probably said some inappropriate things to the poor girl at the Virginia tax office. I'm sorry to her. Mm. Um I was, I mean, a lot of feelings, a lot of like, how the hell did this happen? I thought somebody was on top of this. I had all these notes from talking with the CPA. I didn't realize they were just going to jump to that, that fast. I thought we were in a conversation. Yeah, we were in a conversation. And then I finally, you know, we got it resolved. But it was like, it probably took us a whole week to get access to our money. Um, And that was scary. You know, to be like, oh crap. Um, because it, it feels like you have no control over that and you don't realize how important it is to have access to something until I was literally talking to the tax office, like, you don't understand, my mortgage hasn't cleared yet, and what is gonna happen now? Like, everything's just gonna get bounced back. So I was a bit freaked out over that one. Um we got it resolved, we got it figured out, we got everything squared away. It turns out the wrong person was talking to the wrong person. As somebody who doesn't like details and doesn't, like, having to sit on phones, like, that was torture for me.
1: Yeah. Hmm. How did you work through that? I mean, in day-to-day, you know, how did you work with your own thoughts, body, mind? Like, how did, you know, what did you do um, Um, to get support and to, you know, a week is pretty quick for something like that. But still, like, to have your money frozen, you know. A week is well, a long time when you're running a business, yeah. It's a long
2: time, and, yeah, it it was frustrating. That's for dang sure. Um, the first thing I did was I let Jameson get on the phone with people, and I just knew that he could handle it, and I didn't need to put myself in a situation where I was going to just be angry and frustrated. So he knew what needed to be said and what needed to happen. He just handled being on the phone with people, which is in that kind of situation, like, what you have to do um i was in charge of getting all the paperwork they needed in order so i was like okay cool i can figure i can find all the paperwork he can be yep. on the phone um okay. and so Great. We, Tag had, team we powered again. yeah, Tag yeah and that was essential and he's the person like if there's somebody that needs a phone call he will handle that because he knows that my default if i have to sit there and do this i will like there's a lot of wine that's going to happen that evening because I will be so frustrated at the end of it. Um, So tag teaming was huge. The other thing was just knowing like, it's going to be okay. um, Because I knew that there had to be a resolution for this, right? Like I knew that they were going to be like, okay, well here's what we can arrange to help you figure this out. Um, And what's interesting is as I've talked to other business owners, like these are situations that come up. It's not the end of the world. And I think, I felt like if something like that happened, it would be, but it was figure outable. It wasn't fun. It pretty much sucked. But, like, we could still get groceries, We throw groceries and gas on the credit card that week. Like, whatever we have to do until we resolve this, and then it was all fine. And my business kept running. Like, just yeah. because that was going on didn't mean other things weren't happening. Um, so, yeah, tag team um, was huge.
1: Tag team, and also a deeper trust that a solution was going to be created and found, you know, and that you were going to get to that place. Yeah. And we can lose hope in those moments, or the emotions can be so strong that we forget. Um, wait a second. Let's drop into some level of trust. There will be a solution. We don't know how long it's going to take, but there. If we stick with this, we will. We will get a solution. Yeah.
2: I mean, I always, I now go to okay. Worst case scenario, I have to come up with $20,000 in the next month. Okay, let's make a plan. I can do that. And I I just have a trust that I can do that because I've done it before. Um, it's not the best way <laughs> to have to go out and make that, but it can happen. Um, yeah. So that was probably the worst thing recently that that we had to deal with, and it does it was hard, but I have to say it actually, those type of things have made our relationship stronger and our communication about money stronger because now we're clearer, like, hey, remember that time this happened? That's why we have to be double-checking that this is all working the way it's right. supposed to be.
1: And those things are going to happen, right? Again, we can't, Absolutely. it's not like one day we're going to get all money our money stuff figured out, end of story, we're done. We never have to work on money again or we're going to be able to plan so well that life, doesn't happen. It's still going to happen. And now you have yep. more experience of making it through what you needed along the way. Right? And I love that your relationship has strengthened because of it. Because it's you know, you guys are young. It's gonna keep happening. I mean, hopefully, you know, many, many years yeah. before you get the next one, but it's gonna happen. So when we were first were talking, you were saying that you had gone to listen to some of the other money memoir interviews and that yeah. it was so nice for you to get a sense that you're not alone, you're not the only one, which we never are. Um, is there In that, you know, is there anything else that you want to share with us, knowing that other people are listening to your journey, your story, your strengths, your challenges? Yeah. Is there anything else around your money story and journey and relationship that you want to share?
2: I think the biggest thing I can share is ask for some support. Um, because that is the biggest thing that has helped me through all of these little hurdles, especially as an entrepreneur. And it can be support in the form of, you know, hiring a bookkeeper and a CPA. It can be support in figuring out how you and your significant other, or your partner can talk about things. Like it's taken us a long time to figure out how to have these conversations without people getting upset or feeling badly. Um, But we've, gotten closer to figuring that out. Um, Ask for support in just getting clarity on these things. Like I have taken the art of money program. I have taken several other money management, money mindset, financial planning. Like I'm always learning about this area and there's always so much deeper to go. Um, And each time I invest time and energy and money into learning more about money mindset and all of these different pieces, it makes everything so much easier because this is an area where I think we all get stuck very easily. Yeah. But each time I, I figure out a new piece of the puzzle, then I I get where I need to go. I get over that hurdle a lot faster. So yeah. ask for some support if you need it.
1: Wonderful. So it's a lifelong journey. Keep asking for support, bookkeeper, therapy, Art of Money program, other money management programs. Just keep getting support.
0: Absolutely. Rachel,
1: thank you so much for sharing some of your story, some of your money story with us. And I'm really excited to do a follow-up interview with you to talk about your strengths, which is knowing how to earn a lot of money in short periods of time, um, being able to create sustainable, lucrative businesses, pricing, income, all of it. I'm so excited to do a second interview with you solely on that. But thank you so much for being with me today and sharing some of your stories.
2: Thanks so much for having me. It's been a pleasure.
0: Thank you for joining me with this Money Memoir interview. I really hope you found something here to take with you, whether it was a lesson, some inspiration, or even just a little grace for yourself and where you are in your money journey. If you're feeling called to wade deeper here, please pack your financial goals, soul deep aspirations and grab your favorite person. The Art of Money is a holistic framework that integrates money healing, money practices, and money maps and blends therapeutic body-based practices with real-life tools that we all need to create healthy, sustainable change in our money lives. So if you'd like to begin your money healing journey with the Art of Money today, learn more at barrytesler.com.